You're listening to Talking Smart. The official podcast of the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers. This is Paul Pimentel, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Michael Blaine. Welcome to the fourth episode of Talking Smart. Each month, we bring you news, guests, and discussions of interest to working families across the United States and Canada. This episode, we continue our focus on the COVID-19 pandemic, its impact on our members and their communities, and how SMART is mobilizing across North America to help members stay informed and be safe at home and on the job during this crisis. Stay with us as we discuss U.S. and Canadian emergency economic packages and their impact on SMART members. Learn how the pandemic is impacting our shipyard industry members and share additional news and updates from Canada, Alabama, Ohio, and West Virginia. Our first guest is Steve Dodd, SMART's Director of Government and Legislative Affairs. Steve addresses emergency stimulus legislation that passed in the United States, as well as its impact on SMART members and their families. The COBRA payments, we're going to be asking for subsidies in the way of 100% COBRA payments direct to us for 15 months. Our next guest is Chris Pazwisti, a former business manager of Local 30 in Toronto, Ontario, who now serves as an international rep for smart sheet metal workers. He discusses the Canadian response to the pandemic and steps members and locals north of the border are taking to protect themselves. And so what they're going to be offering is $2,000 for up to four months. Um, they're hoping that that will be paid out within the 10 days of application. And they've also changed the legislation so that no sick notes will be required. Our third guest is Tommy Fisher, a 39-year SMART member and longtime international rep for Mobile, Alabama. He services SMART Sheet Metal members employed at locations affiliated with the Metal Trades Department at AFL-CIO. He discusses the work SMART members do in the shipyard industry, how these work sites and employers are responding to the pandemic, and the current situation in the state of Alabama. I come from a background where we try to look after one another. So if somebody's hurting in California or New York or Illinois or wherever, you know, I'm concerned about those people. Our last guest is Tom Wyatt, a 33-year sheet metal worker and financial secretary treasurer at Local 33, which covers Northern Ohio and West Virginia. Tom talks with us about how his local has been able to procure thousands of N95 masks to protect members in his region, as well as how Local 33 has contributed to SMART's national initiative to produce and donate metal nose piece strips to volunteers making face masks for healthcare workers and first responders. Many of them have responded back with an email thanking us and letting us know who they're making them for, whether it's first responders, some were making it for their local police departments and fire departments, some were making it for the nurses in the area that couldn't get them, so it's really rewarding work. In addition, listen for the open mic segment at the end of this episode, where General President Joseph Sellers answers questions from members about important topics facing them and their families. All of us need to work together, protecting our essential workers, protecting each other, our co-workers, and all those on the front line. Our first guest is Steve Dodd. Steve is SMART's Director of Government and Legislative Affairs. He's been in his current position since 2015. Prior to that, he served as a business representative for Sheet Metal Workers Local 137 in New York City. Steve's local is a unique one. 
For those of you hearing about Local 137 for the first time, members of that local work exclusively on fabricating and installing signage in New York and throughout much of the Upper Northeast. As a matter of fact, you can see their work every New Year's as their work not only defines Times Square with all the signage you see whenever you see images of Times Square, but also they are the local responsible for kicking off the New Year for the entire nation as everyone watches. These are the people who are behind the scenes who actually not only fabricate, but also lower the Times Square ball every New Year's. Today, Steve is going to be on discussing new emergency legislation that just passed in the United States, as well as its effect on smart members and their families. Steve, I want to welcome you to the podcast today. Thank you very much, Paul. And uh, I got to tell you guys, we are in an unbelievable, unprecedented time in our society. And uh, this pandemic has really been a lot to uh, try to get our head around. And I know that we're doing everything we can possibly do to try to make that as smooth as possible for our members. Yeah, Steve, thanks for joining us. This is Michael. Uh, I know it's crazy time right now, and thanks for taking a few minutes to talk with us this morning. Could you start out by giving us a roundup of what's been passed so far by Congress to address this crisis? Sure. Over the past month, in the, you know, a month's time, what has happened is uh, three things have come together uh, in, in ways of bills. Uh, phase one on March 3rd was passed and that was providing $8.3 billion in fresh funds for health agencies and testing and for small business loan subsidies. Phase two was the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, and that was enacted March 18th, and that was worth about $100 billion. Had tax credits for employers and offering paid sick leave and increased unemployment benefits and food assistance. Phase three, the most important to date, was the Coronavirus Relief and Economic Securities Act, the CARES Act, that was signed into law on March 27th. $2 trillion, which includes checks to households, bailouts for airlines and other distressed industries, and loans and grants for small businesses. In terms of unemployment benefits and direct one-time payments, where would you say members can go to get information? Great question. Uh, the best thing for them to do, we have it on the app and we also have it on our website where you can go right online to smartunion.org and you can pull that up and you will find everything that is pertinent to both of those questions you just asked. And it's the fastest way to get information. For instance, if you're on the website under emergency legislative alerts, it'll pop right up. And the very first thing on the top is non-RRB members, which is non-railroad board, railroad retirement board members. That'll tell you what benefits uh, you can apply for. And that come to you in, in particular starts right off with that one-time payments. And it tells you the breakdown of how that applies. And when you would probably get it, I can tell you this, uh, what I've been hearing now is they're gonna start with the lowest income people and then it's gonna go up from there. So like people on social security, they're actually gonna get theirs first. And then uh, those people that are right at, right at the $75,000 threshold, uh, they would be getting it a little later. The good news is the thing we're going to talk about a little later in the podcast is that in this fourth package or potential thereof, uh, I've already heard rumblings of them extending that $600 extra a week to go for another four months. And uh, everybody needs everything that they can get their hands on. And I think what's happening as this thing evolves and we all try to take it in, they're realizing what is working, what they need more help with, and they're taking it from there. Just to follow up uh, about the unemployment benefits, because I'm hearing that a lot of people are having trouble getting through. For example, all my family lives out in Washington State and seven adults, every single one of them has been laid off, furloughed or lost their income. And they're, they're having a real hard time getting through to unemployment in Washington State. We're hearing stuff in Florida, 
people are not able to get through. What would you say to members that are not able to get through to their state unemployment department or office? Well, I tell you, I have to be honest. You're not alone. That's the only thing you can say to them um, because here's what's happening. These systems in some of these states, unfortunately, were by design set up that way. Like Florida, for example. Yeah, I have to be honest. You know what? They were set up for them to fail because they don't want to give out unemployment benefits. Uh, and that's the fact. So these are perfect situations where elections have consequences. Rick Scott, who's now the senator, was the governor before that. He was the one that set that up. So you can go round and round and there are states that are doing better than others. But for the most part, it is because of the amount of people doing it at once that these systems can't handle it. You mentioned the fourth package. Could you say a little bit about what we expect might be in that? And what are we doing to ensure that the voices of working people broadly and smart members in particular are heard during this process? Well, that's another great question. Our initial, I want to tell you what our initial ask was and is going to be on the building trade side. It's going to be an ask for pension security, healthcare security, economic security. And the thing is that Nancy Pelosi and, and others are realizing that this CARES Act actually is going to need a CARES Act II first, and that would be like the fourth package. The reason being is that what they've done so far, they thought was going to be enough to really put the country in, in a good place, or at least uh, ease some of the tensions for all these people being unemployed by increased benefits, by one-time payments, uh, all of those things, and waiving some waiting periods. But what happened was, as you can only imagine, as this thing evolves, it just keeps on getting worse and worse and impacts the economy more and more. So what Speaker had said this morning was that she is looking at a second CARES Act bill to continue some of the good things that have happened with the $2 trillion, but to try to stay more on the lines of what this is as far as the uh, phases that she wants to go through and it's, it's still part of this rescue, I would assume that those things that we want to talk about, like pension security, the investments that were made in those pension funds are seeing a drastic hit. So uh, that's one. Number two, health and welfare, the COBRA payments. We're going to be asking for subsidies in the way of 100% COBRA payments direct to us for 15 months. And what that would do is we'd freeze up your our bank so that when this thing is over, you could actually go ahead and start with the hours that you had and not start from ground zero. I think it's a great idea. I am hopeful that we're able to successfully get that. But I would say that in light of what I heard this morning, that it's probably going to be in like a fifth package. But look, this thing changes and, and it's very fluid. I should have said that in the very beginning. Everything is fluid. The the rules, the interpretation, the guidance, all of these things are changing almost on a daily basis. Some that affect us, some that don't, but they're trying to get this thing so that it affects people in a positive way and it hits the economy the least so that we keep the country together. And that Cobra Bank would be the federal government doing that for 12 to 15 months? That's correct. They did it before. Uh, they did it in the American Recovery Act in 2009, I believe it was, and they did that at 65%. We're asking them to do it at 100% and for 15 months. We believe that that would be a tremendous, tremendous help to the healthcare because the healthcare plans, just like everything else, you're paying uh, premiums on all the people that are covered. And even if you're not uh, using the experience part of it, you're paying those premiums. The coverage is there and people are going to lose those coverages at a certain period of time if benefits are not going in the way it's set up right now to no fault of their own.
So this looks like this is going to be something that we're going to have a lot of people that are going to need to get out there. They're going to need a vote. And like you said, elections have consequences. So there's no better time than now to bring this up, especially today as, as this is going on. There's a primary going on in Wisconsin, even though the governor tried to postpone it and push it back because like it's still going on after it went to the Supreme Court. What kind of impact do you expect this to have on primary elections going forward? What would you tell members concerned about going out there and being in public? Well, I got to tell you that, you know what, what they're saying today is that everybody should be wearing a mask uh, that's going outside. And I agree with that. Here's the thing. These elections, in my opinion, are going to get turned over to more of um, what Ohio is doing, which is mail-in only. And I would see that as this pandemic goes through this country and it escalates up, that you're going to see more of that. And these primaries that have been pushed off already, they may become mail-in ballot only. Do you see there being a chance for mail-in ballots in the general election in November if this continues? I wouldn't um, go that far as to say that that happens there, uh, only because what we are seeing in some cases, uh, I don't want to be too optimistic, but that there is a flattening out a little bit. And I'm not saying this is going away anytime soon, but by November, what we may be faced with and the reason that it might go that way would be if there was a resurgent of uh, cases. And then if they don't have a vaccine by then, and it does start to ramp up again, then we have problems. It's going to be a wait and see thing. I, I wouldn't say we uh, need to think that far out right now. Well, hopefully people in Wisconsin has been a big fight over the last 10 years, right? Trying to claw back their rights there. And hopefully we can continue that. I think it's something that should be mentioned is that, you know, we talked about it a little bit. You know, this is where we could really use our members' help when things like this happen. When we want to go for that fourth package or that fifth package, you know, we want them to contact their congressional members, their senators, their governors to tell them their stories. You know, we're going to be some doing some concerted efforts with the building trades and some taping, interviewing, and then uh, shipping that off to the Hill to make sure that those um, members see that these are real people, that this is affecting and we need that help from them as elected officials. Absolutely. This is a time for everybody to step up now. And for people who haven't done so already, I just want to remind everyone, text the word SMART to 21333. You'll be on our text messaging list and you'll be getting our notifications about when issues like this arise and when we need action. So once again, text SMART to 21333 and you can sign up for updates. This is what we built the SMART Army for. And giving Steve the backup out there on Capitol Hill and getting legislation passed that's going to affect working people in a positive way and not just lobby and corporations on K Street. Steve, I want to thank you very much for your advocacy that you've been doing for members over the last couple of weeks. You've been on the front lines fighting a lot of battles for us. On behalf of everybody here, we just want to extend our appreciation out to you. We want to thank you for being on this podcast today. Oh, you're welcome. It was a pleasure to be here. Yeah, Steve, thanks for joining us. All right. You have a great day, guys. You're listening to Talking Smart. As the coronavirus continues to impact our communities and jobs, please visit the SMART homepage at www.smart-union.org for a compilation of COVID-19 resources from across our industries and trusted government sources from throughout the United States and Canada. Our next guest is calling in from north of the border. Chris Paswisti is a former business manager of Local 30 in Toronto, Ontario, and now serves as an international rep for Smart Sheet Metalworkers. His jurisdiction covers the eight local unions located across southwestern Ontario. Chris is here to discuss the Canadian response to the pandemic and how members and locals north of the border are protecting themselves. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Paul. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us today, Chris. 
Well, I appreciate the opportunity. It's very important that we uh, make sure that we reach out to everyone and make sure that we all know what we're doing and going through through this pandemic. Absolutely. So, Chris, can you tell us a little about what the Canadian government is doing to address this crisis and how different is it than the response in the United States? Well, the Canadian government has been holding uh, daily briefings, as uh, both uh, countries have, and uh, what they've been doing is listening to the stakeholders in the provinces, um, listening to unions, listening to community uh, uh, groups, and what they've done is they've formulated a plan to sort of support the Canadians as we go through those troubled times. They passed a couple of legislations a couple of weeks ago, and now they've consolidated that into the Emergency Response Benefit, which is the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit, the CERB. So what they've done is they've rolled that out. The support that they're showing to the workers is as long as you have lost your job due to COVID-19, or if you have to look after someone, if you've reduced your hours of work due to being a non-essential service, or you have to stay home to take care of your children due to uh, daycare or school closing, they're going to be offering $2,000 a month up to four months. And that's going to be backdated to March 15th. The services uh, application is going to come online April 6th, which is today. They're also spreading out the application in regards to your birthday to try and do it over a four-day period so that the system will not crash. The people who are eligible is anyone who's 15 years of age and has had an earning of at least $5,000 in the last 12 months. And if anyone has applied for the previous benefits that were pushed into legislation after March 15th, all those applications will be automatically converted to this new Canadian Emergency Response Benefit. And so what they're going to be offering is $2,000 for up to four months. Um, they're hoping that that will be paid out within the 10 days of application. And they've also changed the legislation so that no sick notes will be required. But part of that plan as well in the legislation is also to look after small businesses and workers so that they don't lose their jobs through this time. So the government also rolled out a wage subsidy program for 75% of the wages for up to three months. And this is to help businesses to keep running and return workers on the payroll. This uh, wage subsidy is offered for the businesses, including nonprofit organizations and charities whose revenue has decreased by 30% since the start of the pandemic. And they'll qualify for that 75% wage subsidy. So there's no maximum or number of employees a business may have to qualify. And that, once they apply, it'll cover the first $58,700 in the income per employee, or equivalent to a maximum of $847 per week per employee. And the employers are encouraged to do a top-up if they can and where possible. And the government has also asked the employers to do the right thing, and they're sternly warned not to game the system. Some of the other benefits that they're providing for the community is that they are giving $9 million to the United Way for local organizations to support practical services for seniors, including grocery delivery, medications, personal outreach programs. The government will also be providing $7.5 million in funding to help kids phone line, which will provide counseling to children and youth. And then Prime Minister has also pledged over $200 million aimed at supporting shelters throughout this country, with $157 million towards the homeless and $50 million towards women's shelters, sexual assault centers, and shelters to protect the most vulnerable. So those are some of the things that the uh, federal government is doing. And on provincial levels, governments are also coming into action and making some uh, legislative changes to help provincially as well. There's a little bit of difference across the uh, country. So what we've done is we've set up a portal, a link for our business managers and organizers and business representatives. And the Canadian office is keeping the provincial information up to date as much as possible. So Chris, I'm, I'm presuming also that, you know, folks, if they're tested or if they have corona and they're getting treatment, that that's all covered under Canada's national health care plan. And that would be, you know, if they lose their job, they're not losing their insurance necessarily or not at all. Right. That's correct. 
which is that, that would also be a big difference in the United States. You know, we now have 10 million new unemployment claims just in the last week. For a lot of these folks, they're, if they have insurance, it's tied to their job. So that's a big worry for people. And, you know, we've had some conflicting statements from our president who initially said that anybody, you know, testing and treatment would be free. Uh, then insurance companies quickly chimed in and said, no, testing will cover treatment, uh, not. And at the state level, we're hearing a lot of mixed messages about that. So that, that's got to be a big relief for folks to know that if if they do get it, treatment's covered, right? Yes, that is a big relief. That's where a lot of the anxiety with the Canadians right now and the government is focusing on is the loss of job and making sure that uh, the bills are paid. Obviously, with April 1st coming along, the most concern was rent. And uh, the landlords, whether it's uh, private or commercial, uh, wanting payment. So... A lot of provinces have asked and moved legislation to uh, try and assist the individual trying to work out a deal with your landlord. And so those are the types of things that they're trying to do. They've had the banks lower interest rates from usually, which is high in the 19.99% down to 10.99%. They've also looked at all loans when it comes to student loans and apprenticeship tool loans. They're all going to be suspended till September 30th with no uh, principal or interest occurred. They're also looking at relieving the individuals when it comes to taxes. They've kicked out the tax date till June 1st. If you owe money, they're not going to be required to pay any money until September 30th. They're also giving a tax ca- uh, child benefit for up to $300 per child and also a one-time special top-up GST payment for low and modest income households for an extra $400 for single individuals and up to $600 for couples. The government knows that this is phase one. There are going to be other things, and this is going to be a a long, flattening process that we have to do. We are getting prepared for an eight to 12-week practicing physical distancing, but participating in social media gatherings. We want to try to change that idea around is that we have to come closer with the technology that we have at the same time, make sure that we protect each other, ourselves, and our loved ones from uh, COVID-19. So what's going on on the jobs? Are job sites being shut down around Canada right now? The Canadian building trade is working closely with all provincial local building trades. Uh, They've been holding weekly meetings along with the national building trades. Each jurisdiction has been coming along and shutting down jobs of importance. There has some provinces that have actually shut down construction totally. Just on Friday, the province of Ontario has reduced its essential service list from all construction down to just importance in regards to health care, maintenance of infrastructure, and transit. So we're working with all levels of government to make sure that, A, first and foremost, our members are protected. They do have the right to refuse unsafe work. And we're also making sure that the protocols are in place because, as you know, job sites, you're sometimes working over top of each other. And there's got to be running water, uh, sanitary conditions, and proper spacing. So we've been working with all levels, and we're hoping to, at the end of the day, make sure that our members are safe, protected, and that they uh, do not take anything home to their family or loved ones. So, Chris, let me ask you this. What's the best source out there right now for members in Canada to get information on employment insurance? For employment insurance, I direct them to Service Canada. All the information is there. We have been equipping our local unions, like I said, with the information as it comes available. 
both federally and provincially. But I'd say we have to listen to the daily news briefings of the Prime Minister and your provincial premiers. And we also have to listen to the experts. And the expert in Canada right now is the Chief Public Health Officer, Teresa Tam and all the other pub provincial public health officers, because they're working with professionals around the world, exchanging information uh, with Anthony Fauci, top respected doctor in the United States. We have to work as a world has to work and share each other's information. Like we said, this is gonna be hard. We've not done this uh, in our lifetime. When we uh, we just celebrated 100 years since the Winnipeg General Strike, where workers stood up for each other to give us the right to participate, the right to know, and the right to refuse. But we have to look back just one year earlier. We were a footnote. 1918, the Spanish flu hit hit the world hard, and construction workers were out there on the front lines, and they died when they're building the Bloor Viaduct that bridged Old Toronto to New Toronto. And we don't want our workers and our members to be footnotes in history. So we got to make sure that we do everything we can and every decision that we make is at the best interest and at their health and safety, first and foremost. The economy, bills, and everything else we can deal with later. We got to reduce the anxiety and make sure that everyone's safe. Hey, Chris, you touched on earlier some things members can do to protect themselves on the job and making sure they have running water, proper sanitation, social distancing. Is that happening? Are you hearing any reports of employers that are not enforcing that or compelling people to work in tight quarters or anything like that? What's the reality on the ground right now? And what's the federal or provincial government saying about this? Are they directing companies to do? Well, I can tell you personally in the province of Ontario, uh, the premier, Doug Ford, is... Um, thinks it's horrible that these conditions exist. We do have inspectors out there. They just increased another 60 inspectors to go out and check on jobs. Um, they've shut down five jobs and they've laid fines in tw uh, 12 others. Um, this was prior to the essential service list being changed and modified on Friday. So we're hoping that they're out there doing the right job, uh, doing the job to protect our uh, members and with the reduction in job sites right now, we can only hope that the inspections increase on the ones that are going forward. Is the government in Canada also recommending to Canadians that they wear masks as well here in the United States? They've started recommending that Americans wear masks. They've been showing people how to make their own masks and things of that nature. Is that happening there as well? Out in public, like anywhere that you go. That is an evolving situation, and right now they are recommending that if you are going out, A, only go out for the bare necessities. When you go out, practice physical distancing, and whether you have symptoms or not, they're leaning towards covering your mouth for the simple fact that asymptomatic carriers can be passing the germ around without them knowing. So there has been a lot of talk in regards to at least making some sort of homemade mask, at least to cover your mouth. And that's evolving every day. But uh, I would say on the safe side, um, we should always just cover our mouths and uh, not touch our faces when we're out and wash our hands thoroughly when we get back home. All right, Chris, you know, I want to thank you. I know you've had a really busy schedule in the last couple of weeks, and you've been working hard on helping coordinate the response up there from SMART for Canada. We like having you on our show. We hope you can be on our show, on our podcast again sometime soon. This is a good source of information. And uh, we want to thank you and we wish you well. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to uh, address the members at this important time. So uh, in closing, I just want to say as Canadians, just so you know, we're going to be walking around with a hockey stick in our hand. And if you get too close, we're going to give you a little wrap on the wrist, a little slash on the ankle if you get too close. But that's because we love you. So take care of yourselves. And take care of those around you. That's All a right. good six-foot distance marker, isn't it, if you uh, kind of go on a radius? Yes. <laughs>
Yeah, you well, can pretend you're hey, around Brad Marchand, right? Hey, just like a goalie, what do you yell at the defenseman? Spread out! Exactly. <laughs> so, so, yeah, thanks for uh, taking the time to talk with us today. Not a problem. Thank you. We'll keep up Thank the good you, work. Fred. We appreciate yeah. it. All right, take care. You're listening to Talking Smart. Mobilize, organize, unionize. Do you have story ideas or have a question for the general president or union leadership? Call us toll-free at 844-984-0947 with your questions or ideas. Once again, 844-984-0947. Our next guest is Tommy Fisher. Tommy is a 39-year member who's also a longtime international rep who served the international for 17 years. He services smart sheet metal members employed at locations affiliated with the metal trades throughout the United States. Tommy is also a second generation sheet metal worker from Mobile, Alabama, whose family now represents three generations of sheet metal workers. His son just recently became business manager at Local 441 in Mobile, Alabama. Tommy, I want to welcome you to the podcast. Thanks, Paul. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us today, Tommy. Tommy, before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about what the metal trades are? Sure, Paul. The metal trades department is made up of affiliated international unions. The international unions, like smart, electrical workers, iron workers, painters, all make, I think there's 11 international unions that make up the metal trades department. Metal trades department has different councils that work all throughout the country. And that's that's basically how the metal trades function. So Tommy, a lot of members from the transportation division and sheet metal workers across the country may not know we represent workers in the shipyard industry. Can you tell us a little bit about the kind of work we represent at shipyards across the United States and Canada? Sure. Uh, first, let me describe the various sectors that we work in because the metal trades department is divided into four main sectors. We have facilities at Department of Energy site, and some of the bigger ones that we have is the Oak Ridge National Laboratories in, in Knoxville, Tennessee, and Pantex out in Amarillo, Texas, and even some in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, the Los Alamos site. So that is more of the Department of Energy site. They have a Department of Army and Air Force. These sites include Fort Benning, which is a big Army base in uh, Columbus, Georgia, and Fort Rucker, which is in uh, Alabama. And that's where we do a lot of training of our uh, helicopter pilots in the, in the Army and Air Force. Our federal employees work in our Navy shipyards, basically. Those Navy shipyards are located in Honolulu, Hawaii. This is the Pearl Harbor facility uh, out in Puget Sound Naval Facility, Norfolk, Virginia, and up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which is a submarine facility where they maintain our, our submarines. And lastly, we have private sector employees like Engel Shipyard, who builds our new Navy ship. And out in the Puget Sound area, we have Vigor Marine. They're working on Washington State ferries and boats like that that help the transportation problem out there. So, so Tommy, what kind of steps have been taken to protect members at these locations? Okay, I'm glad you asked that, Paul. I'll take two of the main sites. At Engel Shipbuilding, the employer is deemed an essential employer and uh, providing necessary PPE to all employees. 
So they're an essential employer, so employees are required to show up for work. And along with the PPE that the shipyard management is requiring, a strict six-foot social distancing rule is applied. The shipyard is also having crews work 24-7 to deep clean and sanitize work areas to keep our members safe. And obviously, by keeping our members safe, they're keeping their families safe as well. Has this had any effect on the production of new ships or vessels? Not up to this point. Like I say, all of these facilities that are through Metal Trades Councils are deemed essential. And I guess to understand that, we will probably be some of the last to be affected because of the nature of the work that they do. Whether it's building the ships that provide the security of defending our nation, or whether it's guarding the nuclear arsenals that we work at at Pantech and Oak Ridge National Laboratories and Los Alamos. So these, I would classify them as the most essential of the essential employers. So it, it hasn't affected any of them yet. And it, I'm saying it's going to have to get much worse than it is now before it does affect them. So Tommy, what kind of information are we sharing with members at shipyards and other metal trades facilities about how to keep themselves and their families safe during this crisis? Mike, we're relying completely on the metal trades department. Now, if you remember back when I talked to you about how the metal trades department was structured, each international union affiliates with the department and works with the department to represent our members through their council. So we're letting the metal trades department filter information down through the councils. And these councils are located all across the United States in some of these shipyards and DOE facilities and private sector uh, employers. We're letting those councils get the information from the department and disseminate that information out to our members who work in those councils. Does it go the other direction also? Are you getting information or incident reports even coming from the ground up that goes to the Metal Trades Council about issues they're having related to the pandemic or safety equipment? Yes, thanks for asking that because what's happening is the Metal Trades Department is having a weekly call and they're, they're ready to step that up to a daily call if necessary, but right now it's weekly. And what they're allowing to do, they're allowing the president of these councils to send information back up the ladder. And we had an instance the other day where one of our employers was basically instructing the workers that had underlying conditions to come to work. And through the president to the department, the department reached out to the Department of Energy and passed that question along. What are, what are these contractors doing forcing a person with an underlying condition such as heart issues or lung issues or diabetes and so on and so forth? What are y'all doing to require these people to come to work? So through that mechanism of communication, a directive was sent down that if they require a person with an underlying condition to report to work, they had to meet this list of criteria. The company must take the body temperature of each employee that comes in before, during, and after their shift. They must maintain a six-foot social distancing all areas, tools, and surfaces have to be deep cleaned and sanitized before one of those persons are allowed in the area to work. And probably most importantly, a safety representative has to be present during all time that those workers are engaged in, in doing work for those employers. So just through that communication process from the member asking the local council and the local council 
asking the department and then the department reaching out to people that are in authority, we got that resolved. So uh, we were real happy to see that that communication was working. So every member's voice really does count. They can generate one of these comments or requests and it can go up the ladder. And in this case, you got a directive back from DOE telling contractors what they needed to do to keep people safe. That's correct, yeah. So Tommy, in our broadcast, we looked at how the virus is affecting members across the United States and Canada specifically in the communities everybody is living in. Uh, how have you seen it affect the public down there where you are in Alabama? Well, in Alabama right now, we're one of the, I think, the last three states to require a shelter in place from our governor. What she's trying to prove is beyond me. But, you know, the people are taking it reasonably well up to this point. But you're starting to see some folks get upset about her inaction because, you know, I come from a background where we try to look after one another. So if somebody is hurting in California or New York or Illinois or wherever, you know, I'm concerned about those people. And we should be a part of the team here in Alabama. And I just don't feel like we, that we're doing that because, you know, most of the other country is doing things that are helping us get beyond this crisis that we're in. And we're not doing some of those things here in Alabama. So I'm upset about that from a personal standpoint. But the citizens and of the state of Alabama, I think, are taking it as much as they can in stride. We were one of the last states to have a COVID-19 confirmed case. And uh, maybe that has something to do with the delay in it. Uh, I don't want to get into guessing why our governor is not taking action. But by and large, we have a lot of cases, over a thousand. We've had, uh, I think, a handful of deaths, and they're projecting that our death rate is going to go up. But by and large, you know, we're okay and a lot better than some of the reported areas in the country. Well, you know, we hope the governor wakes up sometime soon because we're seeing the results of it. What happens when national leadership, we're talking political on the national level, drags their feet when it comes to responding to something like this. Puts a lot of lives in danger that don't need to be in danger. And, you know, You're exactly we, right. Yeah, and we hope you stay safe over there. The members down there stay safe, your families as well. Tommy, I want to thank you for taking the time to be on this podcast today. I know you got a lot of okay. stuff you've been dealing with, a lot of locals and different facilities you've been managing down there. And uh, I really want to thank you for what you've been doing. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, thank you Mike. Uh, and you, you guys stay care and stay safe. You too. All right. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Sign up for text message alerts and stay on top of news from across our union that affects you, your job, and your family. Just text the word SMART to 21333. Doing so ensures you receive timely information about job banks, new episodes of this podcast, action alerts on critical legislation, member benefit information, Smart Army, and much more. Again, just text the word SMART to 21333. Message and data rates may apply. Our next guest is Tom Wyant, Financial Secretary Treasurer at Sheet Metal Workers Local 33, which covers Northern Ohio and the state of West Virginia. Tom is a 33-year sheet metal worker who was elected as a business agent in 2003 and elected to the position he currently holds in 2010. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome, Tom. So, Tom, how has COVID-19 affected job sites across West Virginia and Northern Ohio? We were deemed a essential business in Ohio and West Virginia. So 75% of our members are still employed in Ohio. West Virginia, a little, little more unemployment, probably about 55% in some districts, but in the Wheeling area, we're 100% employed. Can you tell us a little about how Local 33 has responded to this pandemic? 
We have nine district offices throughout Ohio and West Virginia, and we have the ability, being a, a big local, we have the ability for our agents to work remotely and still cover the offices. So we've split the crews up so that if one group gets exposed to COVID-19, we will still be able to cover the areas. The job sites in Ohio, they've done a pretty good job of making sure our members are safe, but PPE is hard to come by. So we set out to find N95 masks and hand sanitizer, and we managed to source 16,000 from a local company, and they should be on the ground next week we also managed to get 1,760 four-ounce containers of hand sanitizer. We had a local company. The hand sanitizer wasn't so hard to find. What was hard to find was the containers. So we did manage to get some containers, and, and a brew works in Toledo is bottling them for us. So, Tom, how were you able to source the masks for members? There's a company locally in Menor, Ohio, RB Sigma, who constantly is securing N95 masks. They did a big delivery to Cleveland Clinic that arrived yesterday, and we have just tagged along with them to secure our own. So masks have been very hard to come by uh, in a lot of places around the country. What kind of advice would you have for other local unions that are looking to secure masks for their members at this time? The company is RB Sigma. Their website is www.rbsigma.com. And uh, the contact there that we use, Justin Boyd, his number is 440-290-0577. They've been turning around mask orders in 14 to 21 days. That's pretty good. A lot of people have been having a lot of trouble finding masks. So for those of you listening in, I would definitely take that piece of advice and uh, try to reach out to them, especially with a lot of members and a lot of people out there who are having trouble finding PPE right now. That's some pretty vital information. Now, in terms of the PPE, We've got a lot, of, a lot of volunteers out around the country who've been going and making the masks themselves. And we've heard about this and we've seen what's been going on in the news with a lot of, a lot of these million mask challenges that people see that are on Facebook and on social media. So one of the things that this international has been able to do is, and it all started in Connecticut, the member, uh, Joel De La Cruz, reached out to David Roach, a Hillary company. David Roach is the business manager of Local 40, and they went on their own and started making nose strips for these mask makers. And within the course of the week, they had 6,000 orders that they went and they tried to fill and that they've been filling. In the meantime, they reached out to us here at SMART, and I can say right now that about 70 locals right now are making nose strips for these mask makers. We got 4.8 million nose strips as of today that were sent out with over 8,000 orders. Can you tell us a little bit about what Local 33 has been doing in this effort? We reached out to our contractors across all districts and our contractors responded. They cut 150,000 strips. We had some contractors that are willing to cut more if we need them. And we have been shipping them out as quick as the orders have been coming into us. So we're still sitting on probably about 50,000 of those, but our contractors have committed to making as many as we've needed. So in terms of these contractors that have been making these, can you talk a little bit about the process that goes into making these strips? So our contractors, all of them wanted to help, but some of them did not have the material and the material was a little harder for them to source if they didn't already have it in stock. So it was 030 aluminum and they are, some are using a shear to shear them. Others have been using laser tables and water jets. What kind of feedback have you received from people out there after delivering these? 
So our process here is as soon as we get the list, we reach out to them, let them know that we've got their order and that we're going to be getting them in the mail as quick as possible. And many of them have responded back with an email thanking us and letting us know who they're making them for, whether it's first responders, some were making it for their local police departments and fire departments, some were making it for the nurses in the area that couldn't get them. So it's really rewarding work, I have to tell you. The, the feedback has been nothing but positive. You know, one of the, um, the ironic things, I guess you can say, is this was uh, the month of April, and the month of April usually is our Smart Army Month of Community Action, which obviously we're not able to do because of uh, social distancing and all, but I think this wound up having an impact about 10 to 20 times stronger than anything else that we could have done. Wide-reaching impact, lots of first responders, and, you know, I thank you and Local 33 for being one of the locals that have been leading the way on this. You guys have been fantastic, and thank you to all the locals out there that have been doing this, working day in, day out, making these strips, and you'll be hearing more in future podcasts as well about some of the effort that's gone into this and some of the people who have been involved. Yeah, it's really a great example of what this union is all about, right? People standing together, supporting each other, helping out communities in need. Tom, we want to thank you for taking the time to join us. Uh, we know things are crazy and you're really busy right now. These are unprecedented and challenging times, and we really appreciate everything you're doing for your members and for Local 33, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again one of these days. Thanks, guys. Stay safe. Thank you, Tom. For additional information about COVID-19 resources in the United States and Canada, please visit the SMART homepage at www.smart-union.org and click the Emergency Legislative Alerts banner at the top of that page. This webpage provides up-to-date information about emergency legislative stimulus packages and regulatory activity regarding the COVID-19 pandemic affecting SMART members and their families. Right now, I want to welcome everybody to our open mic segment with General President Joseph Sellers. General President Sellers, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, Paul and Michael. Thanks for uh, inviting me again. Now, Dwayne Holman, a member out of Local 18 in Wisconsin, asks if there are any potential no work orders on an international level for work not involving the construction of COVID-19 facilities. Well, first, I'd like to uh, thank Dwayne for his question and all those uh, participating in this podcast. And to get to the quick answer is no, I don't anticipate a no work order across the United States or Canada. The spread and the containment of the virus is varied in every state across the United States, as well as every province across Canada. The spread is taking its own pace. Cities and counties and territories in, in Canada, those are issuing stay at home orders and their individual involvement, and then the state has gotten involved. And they're also identifying in those areas, uh, locally and statewide, essential work orders. In partnership with our contractors, we must continue to be vigilant. We must continue to grapple with workplace safety issues. As you heard in our last podcast, we heard some examples from sheet metal labor management examples. In the transportation, uh, BYD, a bus manufacturing, is working with us on finding sources for N95 masks. In occupational safety and the protection of, of their workers, that's the employer's responsibility. And we all know that we've never seen these challenges in our lifetime. All of us need to work together, protecting our essential workers, protecting each other, our coworkers, and all those on the front line. 
I will say that your le union leadership has been very engaged with our member safety. I read just this week on April 14th, OSHA has issued an imminent danger for COVID. That's a very important action that OSHA has just issued. It's an immediate life or health issue. It also carries whistleblower protections. So if there's a COVID problem, OSHA has just issued a regulation on that. Local leaders are attending regional meetings, international conferences, Zoom calls. They're engaged in building trades and, and building trade issues and collaborating across our industry and contacting your international representatives. So at this time, I don't see that national shutdown. Some jobs across both nations are shut down. And that was to improve worker safety, and it was to improve job conditions. As another example, on the last podcast, we heard state of Minnesota, and they're in a stay-at-home work order unless it's essential. And we heard from Fairbolt that in that Fairbolt County that there's three cases, and our brothers and sisters are manufacturing air handling equipment. In many cases, those air handling devices and, and pieces of equipment are being shipped to temporary COVID medical centers. So we manufacture the equipment and now under extreme conditions, our sheet metal workers in the field are installing that equipment as well as the associated ductwork that's being fabricated and installed in these temporary facilities. If you are working and you feel unsafe, tell your employer, make sure you inform your employer, tell your union representative, your business agent, your business manager, your local union. For transportation division members, make sure that you go to smart-union.org slash TD for the reporting form and make sure you report that to your union. Workers should be wearing their PPE, personal protective equipment. Make sure that you have disinfectant. Make sure that we're cleaning those high touch areas and surfaces every couple of hours. Using the social distancing that we hear and talk so much about. Washing our hands and sanitizing our hands, not only at home, but at work. We're not only protecting ourselves, but we need to protect our coworkers. Following the CDC workplace guidelines, also go to schmoit.org for their guidelines. S-M-O-H-I-T.org. That also includes safe work practices. The safety and the prevention measures that we take right now are critical. That will help us get through this in a healthier fashion. It will help us get through this in a quicker fashion. And if somebody in your workplace tests positive, make sure you confirm that it's been cleaned and sanitized. Inform your union, your employer. Make sure that the area is cleaned. I'd like to thank Dwayne for that question. And I want you all, please be safe. General President Sellers, I want to thank you for being on this show. You know, that was a lot of information right there, a lot of good detailed information. I want to thank Brother Holman for asking that question. That was a good question. Um, on behalf of everybody here, we hope you stay safe. We appreciate you being on this podcast, and we thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you, Paul and Michael. Job well done. We want to make sure that we're continuing to communicate with our membership, con continuing to do our job site talks or shop talks or rail talks just in a different fashion. So I appreciate everybody paying attention, making sure that we're taking the measures that are not only going to protect us and our family, our coworkers, and those loved ones that uh, that are so dear to us so thank you very much